Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about special interest groups, and we had a very special guest on. So if you guys haven't had a chance to take a listen to that, we highly suggest you do. And that kind of inspired um, Claire and I to do a little bit of a giveaway. So we had posted on our Instagram account um, the chance to win a membership to a SIG or a special interest group through ASHA. And it was specifically open to national members of either NISLA or ASHA um, grad student members. So Claire and I just picked our winner. And uh, we always say drum roll. I know. It's always so like not as exciting as I, I know. want it to be, <laughs> but we're really excited for you. So our winner is Speech with Jamie, and she wanted to join SIG2, which is Neurogenic Communication Disorders. So we are so awesome. excited for you. Make sure you reach out to us if you're listening to this. If we haven't heard from you in a couple of days, we'll reach out to you guys. But thank you so much for all of the people that joined um, and entered the contest. And thank you to Amanda from the Black Speechy for talking to us and giving us all of that awesome information because I know it inspired both Claire and I to join a SIG. So thank you so much. So today we are so excited to introduce you guys to Callie Knight. Uh, we actually got a recommendation from one of our followers to look into Callie's content because she works on narrative-based language intervention and she is like the guru in this area. Um, so we're really excited to hear from her and to kind of pick her brain because it's an area that if you guys listen to our Q&A episode, we obviously don't know a ton about. We were trying for you guys, but we're really excited to actually learn from an expert here. So Callie, thank you for being here. Thanks. Yeah. Can you tell us just a little bit about um, yourself and your background as an SLP? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can call myself an expert or guru, but I sure <laughs> love narrative-based language intervention. And I think I've received training and instruction from the best of the best. Mm -hmm. um, I'm currently a school-based speech-language pathologist, been licensed with my CCC since ooh, this summer. Um, I did my undergraduate and graduate work at Brigham Young University, and it was there that I got some great mentorship, both as an undergrad and graduate student in narrative-based language intervention from Doug Peterson, who I would say is the guru and expert on narrative-based language intervention. Um, but it was really there that not only piqued my interest, but really showed me how important this intervention is and how helpful clinically and even for a school-based SLPs academically for students. Absolutely. That's awesome. So just to start, could you tell our listeners or kind of like explain what narrative-based language intervention is? 
really simply stated narrative-based language intervention is really what the name is. It's using storytelling as a conduit for language therapy. Simply stated. To <laughs> <laughs> put it in the most basic terms, right? <laughs> um, I know that when I was looking kind of through your Instagram and through some of your stories that you have saved, you did an awesome little um, series of like the 10 principles from a really great research article. I think it was what it was from an ASHA article. Um, and I know you, you, we definitely don't have to go through all 10, but could you maybe briefly just go through some of those and like, what's really important for narrative-based intervention? Totally. So in case anyone wants to go look at the article, because you definitely need to go read it, it's called 10 principles of narrative-based intervention or language intervention principles to practice. Um, and it's by Trina Spencer and Doug Peterson. Those are the narrative-based language intervention gurus. Um, wow, these 10 principles, really a lot of them apply to narrative-based language intervention, but can be applied anywhere. Um, one thing with narrative-based language intervention, one of the principles is build story structure before you work on vocabulary or complex syntax. Um, if you're not familiar with narratives and different types, you can work on macro structure, which is more like sequencing, right? It's like story grammar, that there's a character and a setting and a problem, an attempt to fix that problem consequence. That's macro structure. And then we have micro structure, <clears throat> which can be anything from using vocabulary, complex vocabulary, complex syntax. Um, and one of those principles is a lot of times we like to build that story structure before we work on those language targets just because it builds this foundation that you can build upon um, and when i say build that story structure you can literally use any language goal to target after you have that structure so that's one principle that i would for sure recommend um, another one of the principles is using different stories this is sometimes hard but when you want to teach a child how to tell a narrative you don't want to use the same storybook or the same stimulus over and over because if you teach a story the child's going to learn a story you memorize it yeah exactly and so the idea between building this story structure and switching the story frequently is that they're gonna learn this cognitive schema is what we call it basically. They're learning this structure that they can apply to an infinite number of stories. So that helps with that metalinguistics and generation mm -hmm. and being generative and generalized instead of just memorizing because we don't right. wanna limit our kids. Let's see. Oh, I was going to say, that's a really, a really good point because I've run into that where I'm like, oh my gosh, my student, you know, I, whatever the goal is, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so good with this. Even if it's something as simple as fluency. And then I have them talk to like an unfamiliar listener, or maybe they talk to the principal. So, you know, stress is a little bit heightened or someone they're not as familiar with. And I'm like, okay, just kidding. We haven't really mastered that because you're just comfortable with me as opposed to um, like mastering the actual uh, task. So I think that's really important too. Absolutely. So what, when you're working on implementing narrative-based language interventions, what tools, materials, or stimulus items do you use when you're providing that kind of therapy? 
I'll give a twofold answer. If anyone knows me or has seen my Instagram or anything, I love um, an intervention curriculum called Story Champs. I love it not only because it's evidence-based, but it just provides you with a lot of visuals and a lot of really good stimulus stories for retail and different supports for working on generation. So I use Story Champs. It is a paid resource that you have to get, but it's something that I am not sponsored to say anything, but I <laughs> recommend it because it makes your life easier. You don't have to prep anything evidence-based, curriculum aligned. That's my easy answer. The truth is not everyone is going to have access to Story Champs. And even if you did order it tonight, you're not going to have it tomorrow. So the truth is, and the secret answer is you don't need anything except your mouth to tell a story. Because if you want to use macro structure, cool. If you just want to use language, using those abstract terms, using more detailed language to convey a story or sequencing it so I'm not confused, mm -hmm. that's all you have to do. It's just working on language in the context of a story and you stopping a child when you're confused or when they make a mistake, just like any other listener would. Mm -hmm. That is effective therapy and you don't need a single thing to do that. I love that. I'm all about the low prep. And I was I'm all just about using say, what you have. Yeah. Everyone loves low prep. <laughs> and just using, like you said, what you have and what, you know, your kids give you and working with that, um, I think is so effective. So what kinds of, um, I mean, not, you don't have to give specific goals, but like what kinds of kids would you use this kind of intervention with? So obviously kids working on language, um, but maybe specifically um, some of the areas of language they're working in and maybe specific ages. So to be honest, I use narratives with everyone. <laughs> That's um, there really aren't many prerequisite skills for narratives because you can meet the child where they're at, even if it's a very simple narrative. I use narratives with kiddos with AAC where we're just using one symbol or icon per maybe um, story grammar element that we're working on. But I think the important thing to remember is if you want to target narrative specifically, you can make a narrative-based goal that says, for example, they'll include certain story grammar elements, like a character, a setting, a problem, attempt, consequence, ending. Mm -hmm. That's narrative-based, or you can really take any goal. I just got to a new school this year. I inherited a new caseload. Not one person has any goal that says narrative in it, right. yet I can still use narratives as a conduit to do any syntax goal, any vocabulary goal, which mm -hmm. are really the vast majority of most of our goals, right? My social mm -hmm. goals, lots of stories involve social interactions. Mm -hmm. and we learn those in context. So <laughs> my cop-out answer is <laughs> I, use, I bet I can help you use it with just about anybody. That's awesome. I was super interested in, um, you had a video again, I just creeped hard on your Instagram. So <laughs> sorry, but, um, you had a video with an AAC user. Can you describe a little bit how you utilize it with an AAC user? Cause that's super interesting to me. For sure. So my number one thing that I tell everyone is I don't treat my AAC users in general, any different than I treat any other student who uses verbal communication because language is language, right? Whether it's an icon or whether it's a verbal word. 
The thing that is different though, is if you want your AAC user to be able to use a very robust story, you need to make sure they have the vocabulary on their device, whether that's their you know, electronic device or whether you've made a, you know, not a core board, but a board with specific vocabulary, you have to give them the vocabulary you want them to use. Otherwise they can't participate effectively. Mm -hmm. So my short answer is, I don't do anything special except make sure they have the vocabulary they need to participate with me. So do you use a different, um, like, do you make a different folder? Like if they're using um, Proloquo or some sort of uh, system, electronic system, do you make like a separate folder? I've, I've just, I feel like I started to do that in the past when I was working in the school, like we would, when I pushed into the classroom and they were reading a story, I would just like really quickly make another folder with some random words that were in the story or something like that. So is that kind of how you create it for them? I'm kind of just wondering if I was doing it without knowing or if I'm doing it right. <laughs> I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it, to be yeah. honest. For that video, if you look at it on my Instagram, mm -hmm. I had time in the summer, so I made some low-tech boards right. to go along with stories. Mm -hmm. To be honest, do we all have time to calibrate every device and add every vocabulary word we'll ever need? Right. No, probably not. And right. I'm I'm not an expert in AAC. I, I yeah. feel like I'm fairly proficient and I my kids get what they need done. Yeah. But at the end of the day, my principle always for AAC is give them all the vocabulary that they can. Mm -hmm. And so as long as they have that, if, for example, we're working on a character, they're not going to have Henry, right, right, in their story. So maybe I can bring a picture icon to sit next to their device. And then right. if they want to say Henry, they move over to Henry and then mm -hmm. can use everything else in their device. That's right. a very good name you picked. That's my son's name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I was going to say was when I've done this, um, like in my categorical classrooms that are self-contained because they're all on different levels and some use AAC and some are verbal is I'll pick um, a book that I've already used and I go through it. I'll have the vocab. I usually go on board maker and print them out. So they have the little icons and then I just keep them in an envelope and like paper clip it to the book. So next time I go to it, I already have all that vocab stored. So that way, I mean, it's not ideal because it's not on their device, which is what they're, you know, used to using, but that way it's kind of like a quick go-to um, already have it. So I found that kind of helpful too. Um, one thing I was wondering when we were kind of doing our research to put together for this episode was how do you take data for these sessions? Because I know it's not like drill, right? Like with articulation, you're like, yes, you said it right. No, you didn't say it right. Moving on. It's kind of like this very flowy dialogue conversation. So what's your go-to for taking data? So I'll tell you what I do, and it may or may not work for every setting and district because I know some districts require certain types of data to be taken daily, for example, versus, mm -hmm. so it's going to depend. But what I do is language dynamics groups, the people that make story champs have a free progress monitoring tool called the cubed. And I use that every other week or maybe every three weeks. And that is just a completely independent retail pro where you read them a story, they tell it back to you, and in real time you score it based on story grammar, language complexity, um, a lot of 
and you can also put in whatever specific goals you want to work on. It also has language comprehension questions and vocabulary. And those take maybe 30 seconds for you to, re you to read the stimulus prompt and them to take eh, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes to retell and answer those questions. So I do that for my independent progress monitoring. And then I also have some data tracking sheets that are a freebie on my website. If you check it, it's just canitetherapy.com. Um, but it's more for daily data tracking um, and you can use them for that macro structure and just check whether they're telling stories with certain story grammar elements um, or whatever. It has a place where you can put whatever goal you want to target it. Um, I'm going to be honest, I don't do that every session because my kind of thing about data is sometimes we get so caught up in data that we miss opportunities to work with our kids or we make it a little bit less natural. So I do a lot more, my day-to-day -day da data is more like how much support did they need today versus last time? Did mm -hmm. I decrease the visuals quicker than usual? Could they do more independently? And I write little subjective notes about the amount of prompting I use. Mm -hmm. And then I get more objective data on independent production every, you know, other week or whatever. That's I might want to use it. That's something Claire and I talk about a lot is like, yes, data is important, especially when you have a job that, you know, needs it or for billing or whatever. It, it is important, but I feel like a lot of times, especially as a CF, I remember getting like really wrapped up in like, oh, but what's the number and how many yeah. trials are there and what's the percentage? And then like, if you take a step back and you look at it, you're like, no, no, but like what progress is being made exactly. and how are they doing and how are they using it? So I like that you said that for sure. I think the progress monitoring aspect is important, if not more important than the data collection that you take every single day. And obviously we need to take data to have progress monitoring, but um, I think that's awesome. What did you say that Story Champs one was again? It's called the Cubed. The progress monitoring. Yes. It's just called the cube, like C-U-B-E-D. Got it. Okay. Uh, yep. Found it. Just making sure. Cause I'm like, that sounds like a really good resource. And I love the idea free. of doing that. Yeah. That's, that's great. And that's, I love that, um, companies like that offer something because it's great advertising for them and it helps us a lot. So that's really nice to know. We're all about the free resources here. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Um, so Kelly, what are some of your favorite activities, um, or books or things that you're doing right now that you're having a lot of fun with, or just some stuff so we can kind of see into your world, some of the things that you do. So I kind of split a little bit my narrative world into retail and generation. A lot of times I start with retail with my kiddos. So I might use something like story champs or a story, a children's story that has kind of this problem attempt consequence mm -hmm. outline and work on retail. Right now, what I'm doing with most of my kiddos is working on generation because ultimately that is the more curriculum aligned skill. That's the skill we want them to be able to have at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And oh my goodness, so many fun things you can do with generation, right? And you get these kids wheels turning for fictional generation, or you start to see into their lives with these personal Mm -hmm. you know, probes. Tell me about a time when you got hurt, you know, after we read a book about a kid that got hurt and their wheels are turning because my story is cooler than the story we just read. Listen to the time when I, you know, and it's just so fun. So it's really as simple as that. Well, tell me about a time when you did this, or I have picture cards that are probably those like really old dinky 
problem cards I use with like my cognitive um, rehab patients. That's like, mm-hmm. what's the problem here? Pull out like a random card like that and you've got part of the narrative generation task where they have to name the person, talk about the setting and identify the problem. And then they have to decide what's going to be the attempt to fix it and the resolution at the end. Mm-hmm. So some of those are my easy go-tos, but yeah. I, don't do, I don't do anything fancy. That's kind of that's the real answer. I don't do anything fancy. Well, that's the real, I mean, that's honest and that's the real SLP. Like, I feel like we're like that too. And we try to really let people know that we're like that. We definitely don't spend a ton of money or time on the things we do either. We're all about trying to be effective, but also, you know, not breaking our back for it. Absolutely. I have a very random question. Do you have a favorite book? (laughs) A book in general or a book that I'm supposed to be using for? Um, a book that you're supposed to be using with your children, but we could also talk about what you enjoy <laughs> to read. <laughs> well, this, this is, I'm not going to jump down this rabbit hole. Not every, the vast majority of storybooks that you pull off the shelf are not going to have good narrative structure and I would not recommend them or narrative-based language intervention. Mm-hmm. You want to do dialogic reading. You want to, you know, just work on language skills and context, do it. Um, <laughs> lots of times my favorite book actually is the paper bag princess and it has a fairly good narrative structure. However, I love that book. Wait, guys, I've never heard of this. I grew oh, up with my mom introduced me to that book when I was little and she bought me like a few years ago, she bought me cop like 10 different copies. And she's like, you give these to all of your friends with babies. And sorry, Rachel, I didn't give you. One. I was going to say I've had a baby. I've, I've given but, it to all my friends that have had girls. So oh, okay. that's kind of the reason because it's like paper bag princess, which it definitely doesn't have to be a girl, but it's such a good book. It's so cute. Guys, I'm feeling a little left out, but I'm <laughs> currently looking at it on Amazon. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kelly. I just got really no, excited. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm adding it to the list. I love books. Add it for sure. It's got good narrative structure. Although if you really analyze it it's a little bit more complex than Definitely. what you're going to start with but you can simplify a little bit to just have one problem in the story and a couple attempts to fix it yeah i feel like I it's out of 10 i feel like it's very rare someone i because i'm a really big book person that someone recommends a book that i don't have so i'm very excited so yeah. yeah i love it and i bet Callie, do you use um just curious do you use anything over telepractice? Are you over telepractice? Yes. We're currently hybrid. So I get a okay. little bit of both. Are there any, um, like book online resources that you use or do you, do you like hold up a physical book usually when you're doing any like actual implementing any books into your session? Um, totally depends. Sometimes I'll hold up a book. Mm-hmm. I'm a big uh, proponent of YouTube read-alouds. Yes, absolutely. Like, free, so mm-hmm. that is the truth. If I'm going yeah. to use something, it's usually going to be a YouTube read-aloud. Yeah, no, for sure. I've gotten really into those, and then um, Rachel, what's the other one we talk about? Um, storyline, storyline online, where Thank someone you. famous reads the book. It's like mm-hmm. Oprah or Chris it's Evans free. or. 
Those are awesome. So when we started virtual in like March, I was like, oh yeah, I brought this big thing of books home. I'm like, okay, here we go. And I'm like holding the book and my, our listeners can't see it me right now, but I'm like holding the book up and like trying to make sure they could see the pictures and everything. And it was just not, it was a disaster. So once I got the Osmo, um, mm-hmm. that really helps because it, it's like a um, document cam and it reflects. So that could at least help them see what I was talking about because I tried reading it and it was, it did not go it's well. Hard. But, and eventually we've moved to um, YouTube read alouds because yeah. with YouTube one of my videos clients, always fun. Yeah. With one of my clients, we've started doing um, the parent will bring a book. So like mm-hmm. whatever the favorite book of the week is, is they'll bring it because the client responds way more when they read it to her physically there. Mm-hmm. So they'll read it and then we implement the questions and um, that's kind of how we do it. But I love it. I love implementing books. So I love hearing about ways, Callie, that you're implementing it and being intentional about the narrative intervention that you're doing. So that's awesome. I think that's all the questions we have. Is there anything else? Well, first tell people where they can find you because um, again, one of our listeners like told us about you and loves your content on your Instagram. So for sure your Instagram, because that's a really good resource. Yes. So I think my Instagram handle is at K night therapy, K K N I G H T then therapy. Um, I have a website. Don't judge. It is very, very new and doesn't have much on there, but that's also just K night therapy.com. It's okay. Ours is too. Ours is like the most basic layout that you could have. And we just like, it's hard. It's hard. Websites are hard. It is. For sure. So uh, no judgment there, but it's, you want functional information, go there. Don't go there to look at a pretty aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's so real though. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate you. Um, and we can't wait to continue to follow you and see all of your information because I think there's so many of us that are learning from you. So you're doing great things. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you guys so much for joining us again. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. Don't forget to check out our website, which is letstalkaboutspeech.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to like, review, and subscribe to us. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast. Let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Email us with suggestions or questions, or if you want to be on the show or know somebody that would be perfect for the show, please let us know. We love hearing from you guys. Thanks so much. Bye.